Good morning, everyone, and welcome to my triumphant return to the Silmarillion Film Project. It's all about me, of course. <laughs> I am your co-host. I am your narcissistic co-host, Dave Kale. And I'm joined, as always, by the Tolkien professor, Corey Olson, and Trish Lambert. This is an ex- We have a very exciting episode for you today. Um, we are going to finally flesh out the first um, of the sort of narrative frame um, um, stories that we're going to be using throughout the course of the next 20 years of this TV series. Yeah, that's right. Um, which is really fun, and I am especially excited because I was dreading uh, uh, doing casting. <laughs> like, uh, the, the prospect of doing that really that it's moved to the end of the yeah, season. completely overwhelming. The only thing that, the only two things I have any confidence about are uh, The Rock as Tolkas and <laughs> <laughs> and Idris Elba is Mandos. I think those are two that I'm like, okay, yeah, those seem pretty good. Those. And everything else, I'm just overwhelmed. I was looking at last night. I was looking at some of the casting stuff posted in forums, and I was just like, oh my, I have no clue. I don't even know how to start doing this. <laughs> Thank God we've procrastinated that. Yeah, yeah. No, yes, I think yes. uh, I think procrastination is an excellent move on that one. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, the. It's, it is so much, I, I too have been really looking forward to, to this episode because, and I'm glad that we did choose to do a full episode on this because I still think, I mean, I'm still excited from the very first conversation we had about this on episode one of season zero, um, because I really think that this is one of the things where we have the opportunity to, to, to kind of think through something really special, uh, in, in the stories, uh, you know, particularly the way in which we are going to be sort of thinking about the connections between the first age and the third age, you know, the way that we have, you know, that, that we're kind of planning to, to weave these stories together, um, to really be developing some of these, some of the stories of the, you know, the, of the third age material, um, and, uh, and, and, and again, bring that really into contact with the older stuff. Cause, and that strikes me as such a very Tolkienian kind of thing to do, right? To, you know, sort mm-hmm. of show how we see even, you know, of course, in The Lord of the Rings, how the stories from the elder days factor in, you know, and how those are important. I mean, some of the, some of the, the, the moments, you know, of course, it's there, you know, it's not that the, uh, uh, the, the Lord of the Rings is itself merely a frame tale, but it's almost like that at times, right? You know, the, there are those moments when the, when the characters of the Lord of the Rings story look back to the stories of the elder days that they have heard, whether it be, um, you know, something as, uh, as sort of comparatively passive as Bilbo's Arendel song that he sings in Rivendell. I say passive in that it's not intimately connected with the action of the story of the Lord of the Rings, um, mm-hmm. or something quite active, as in Aragorn's singing of the Baron and Luthien song in the Dell Under Weathertop. When that actually his singing of that song seems to actually affect the plot. Like not only is he trying to keep the Hobbit's spirits up, but it, uh, there's there's even the sort of the implication that his singing the song of Baron and Luthien actually sort of temporarily kept the black riders at bay um it, and then of course you, you know you come back to 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 sam's contemplation of the relationship between their story and the stories of the elder days on the stairs of kirathungal i mean there, there are bunches of examples of this kind of thing and that's not even counting the kinds of references and the way that references to the old stories and parallels between the later stories and the earlier stories are used by the narrator so really thinking about how how these things fit together and uh 
to sort of put it in a really simple way, what do these older stories have to do with the later stories? Um, yep. I think it's awesome. So I'm really, I'm really, I'm really psyched about that. Um, well, the first thing we want to do is, uh, you know, we, we, we like to begin by revisiting the material from last time to, so that we can touch on things that people have brought up that we missed or questions that people ask. Uh, I, and it's the course today, especially since it's really only fair to give Dave a chance to, uh, uh, to, to tell us all the things that we got wrong from last time. But I want to start actually, um, very briefly addressing an important question which Philip Menzies has brought up about chronology. And I, I thought I thought it was it was a really important and interesting question, and that is sort of the the question about the chronology, the relative chronology of the chaining of Melkor and the awakening of the elves. Um, and the point that Philip Menzies was making is, you know, basically there's 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 the Book of Lost Tales chronology and there's the published Silmarillion chronology, and the difference is which one happens first. Um, in the published Silmarillion, uh, the elves awaken, <clears throat> and then. The Valar go to war and, uh, and, and take out Melkor. In the Book of Lost Tales, he is chained and then the elves awaken. And the important, the, this is the, re- the reason that matters, of course, um, is, as Philip has pointed out, for the question of the origin of orcs. If we're going to do the story from the published Silmarillion about elves being, you know, kidnapped from, uh, from Quivian and by Melkor and, uh, tortured into orcs, then obviously we can't have him chained up prior to their awakening. Um, and uh, so I, I do think that this is an important point, and, and it brings up... Okay, well, so l- l- let me say two things about that quick. First, I actually am not too worried about it in the sense that, you know, we're going to be ending with the awakening of the elves, but actually, I don't think it's actually the awakening of the elves. Like, the final scene that I see um, is... Uh, uh, is that is, you know, when we're going to do that hook at the end of, uh, you know, the elves on the shores of Quivienne, I don't think we depict the awakening of the elves, because frankly, I haven't the faintest idea what that looks like. Um, but, I mean, like, did they hatch? Like, did they just materialize? <laughs> like, how did that happen? I, I, I don't they, even know. They shoot up out of the ground like trees? Right, yeah. Did they, <laughs> did like little bubbles of sand on the shores of Quivienne come and then pop and then elves come out? You know, like happens in, in, in Milton and in The Magician's Nephew? I don't know, you know. <laughs> I think they all arrive in space. Ships. That's also possible. <laughs> Are they beamed down? So, and 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 frankly, I I don't really see a way to do that. That's not hokey. So, um, so I, I it was never my plan to do that. And and besides which, I think it captures more the spirit of the narrative. Like that, that even the Valar don't see the elves awaken. They just find them there, right? So I think that basically that's what our camera shot does, is our camera shot goes to Queen and oh, hey, look, elves, right? They've probably been there for a little while, but we don't really know exactly how long, right? But here they are. This is, so that's the point at which they enter our story, not the point at which they are born into the world. Um, so there can be some kind of, um, uh, some, 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 some kind of, uh, a sort of uncertainty about that. But to me, the bigger question is, what are we going to do about the orc situation? And I have to say, I, I mean, here's the problem. In a, in tackling this problem, we are trying to tackle a problem which Tolkien himself never solved. Okay, I mean the 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 story in the published Silmarillion is the sort of the the fullest and most mature version of the of the forming formation of the elves or of the orcs that he ever did. But he had doubts about that, and he had doubts for um for very good reasons. I mean, um. If I had to say, if if I had to make a list 
of the question, like the, the questions that have been asked to me most often since 2009 when I first started my podcast. Of the questions I've received more in the last like seven years than I've and received anywhere else or the, the, than I've received uh, compared to any other question. Certainly in the top five, possibly in the top three, would be, hey, wait a second, if the orcs are just corrupted elves, does that mean that they have free will? And, like, if not, what happened to it? It's a great point, and it's a point that Tolkien himself came back to. Um, you know, you can, you know, we, 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 we can just, when we get here and actually dealing with this in the narrative of the of the episodes we can we can talk about this in more detail there's Tolkien wrote stuff on this which is published in Morgoth's Ring where you can see him considering different options and I think that we should consider different options um, so the so the main thing I would say here is I'm not locked into the elves being kidnapped by Morgoth and tormented into orc story because um, there are problems with it and Tolkien had problems with it myself I'm kind of tempted to kind of kick the can on that one and 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 it could just kick it down the line and not give an answer to the question. Um, just have the orcs appear and have everybody be like, "Dude, where did they come from?" <laughs> you know, like I. Well, and you could also you could you could he- you could hedge. We could we could have um, Morgoth kidnapping elves, but not but don't fill in the gaps and just right. sort of leave it leave right. it ambiguous as to what he's doing with them, and then orcs appear, and then yeah, same thing Tolkien does, which is draw your own conclusions. Right. right. We could right. even have like uh, uh, his different theories, that is, Tolkien's different theories about where they could have come from, um, uh, mentioned by different people at different times as possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of, I mean, and in any case, even if we did totally want to do the, uh, um, uh, the elves tormented into orcs theory. I, I, I mean, I don't think we could depict that in any way that would not be either horrifying and uh, hokey. Um, I mean, like, what are we going to do? Like an or an elf torture montage? Like, I don't. I'm not. That doesn't seem good. Um, so. Anyway, I think it's probably best not to, to attempt to depict that anyway. <laughs> Jackson would do it. Jackson would do it. Yeah. There would be a lot of blood and, you know. Well, and, and, well, cause it, it will, oh, oh, except it would make it rated R and Jackson would, oh, wait. Never mind. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> uh, never that mind. That ship has sailed. <laughs> that ship has sailed. That ship has sailed. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's so, it, it, like I said, in, in any case, I don't think that would be very good theater, but, uh, let's, uh, we don't have to worry about that today, but, um, but, so anyways, but, so back, yeah, yeah, back to the, to the, to the general chronology thing. That's my main point is that we're not necessarily gonna, even if we depict, and I think we should depict the chaining of Melkor before we get to the elves, um, that's, uh, I, that's, I, I think that's okay. I, and I, I would want to do the Book of Lost, the Book of Lost Tales chronology in the sense of not even having Orame find them until after the chaining of Melkor. Um, just because that makes it neater in the seasons. I mean, I, I, I think episode one of season two yeah. really should be Orame finding the elves. Um, yeah. Unless we want to have him find them and then, but it, then At we, the very we end of season one. Yeah, I mean, so I don't know. I think uh, 
Yeah, I, I think that, uh, I, th- I think that, yeah, no, Luke, I don't think that ship has sailed into the West. I think that ship has already gone no. down. Uh, ship uh, foundered. Exactly. It's <laughs> that, foundered. that ship is foundered. Exactly. That's probably the more, the, cor- the more correct way to say about it. Um, but, um, anyway, so, I, so yeah, I mean, it, it is, that is an alteration from the published Silmarillion, um, uh, chronology. But it is, I mean, it is, it does fit the Book of Lost Tales, uh, more. So, I mean, there's, there's, you know, we, we, we have our options there. But let's see what we think when we get, when we get closer to that. Um, you know, we may decide to change our mind as we get through, as we move through the season. Mm-hmm. Discussing each episode, so. Um, alright, okay, but with that, with that question addressed, cause I, I thought that was a, a pretty, uh, a, a really good overarching question, and I'm sure that question about orcs is gonna be one that will be in a lot of people's minds about what are we gonna do about that answer, we don't know. Um, and actually, again, I, I don't think we need to specify, actually, but, um, uh, so Dave, thoughts. What are your thoughts about last episode? Oh, um, <laughs> it was oh, all I didn't expect bomb. to ask that question. I don't know what you guys were doing? Yeah, um, no, I actually. So, 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 believe it or not, maybe this is a surprise to people. I don't know. Uh, um, I, I, I was in basically almost complete agreement with um, with with most of what you sort of the decisions you guys made and what you discussed and that kind of stuff. I, wow. I, I, I really enjoyed listening to it. Um, you guys did a nice job, and uh, and I don't have any sort of major objections or complaints or anything. So. <laughs> no major objections great. or complaints? Maybe that puts me in line for a bonus. That's great. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Um, I really liked – so so um, um, I, I think the, the arc that you guys laid out was was – Perfect, and and that's kind of what we previous agreed to. Like we wanted to get right up to the the um, the children awaking, but not not go over. Um, like the it was like Price's Right style. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, so so one thing I one thing I um, really liked your suggestion that um, you we start with like day one is uh, or episode one is just kind of. Business as usual for the for the Valar, right? Um, and then the next episode or so uh, is where we at. Then we go back and tell the the backstory on on Melkor. Kind of, I kind of like the idea of like the first the fir- very first episode. It's not immediately overt that Melkor is the enemy. Um, you know, like it's not like you know the very first thing that happens is we watch him like destroying everything, and 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 he's not immediately the the villain. I kind of like the idea that maybe the first episode, if you are watching this totally uninformed, um, you you might be you might be you might be taken aback that sort of right at the end of the episode he does something in secret that's a little weird or malicious, and then the next episode or so, um, um, I can't remember the exact order, but the next episode or so is where we actually we actually explain, oh yeah, this guy's actually going bad, just in case right. you hadn't figured that out. I, I kind of like, I like the idea, idea of him being, being somewhat somewhat more ambiguously portrayed. Um, that, that, because because his the way that he goes wrong is not it's you know as you guys were discussing 
all of the people who stumble or go bad, um, it's it's because of their sort of the, their their uh, you know essential nature, and 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 usually it's it's founded on impulses that are that are sort of in some sense good. It's it oftentimes has to do with sort of exercise of creative independence, etc. And right, and these are these are things that you know like at least especially to modern Americans seem sympathetic. You're like. Hey, what's wrong with that? He doesn't want to listen to Louvatar. He wants to play his own damn song. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. Um, Especially in Texas. That would totally. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Especially you know. in <laughs> Texas. I love, I love the Lone you know, Star State. Don't you I tell me how to live my life. Yeah. I love the idea of letting people sort of live in this ambiguous space for a little while before we show, like, yeah, actually, this guy's a bad guy, just, you know, in case you're wondering. Well, it makes it really more tragic, too, to to watch that fall happen. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things that I think is so important about not just having him be, you know, this demonic, uh, evil character from the beginning, you know. Yeah. Um, it should and then, seem frankly, tragic. in biblical terms, as far as Lucifer's concerned, it's that same story. I mean, to me, yes, it's the same exactly, story. Exactly. Exactly. No, no, exactly. Thing. And that's, I mean, I think at, at, at every point along the way, I feel like if our, if, if, if the story succeeds as we tell it, at every point along the way, like, you remember that moment, uh, in, you know, later on after the, the darkening of Valinor when, like, Manway and the Valar are weeping for the marring of Feanor. Right. When mm-hmm. Feanor rebels right. and their primary reaction is that they're really taken by the tragedy of the of the corruption of Feanor. Right. Um, and I feel like if our story succeeds for every bad guy, there should be that sense. Right. You know, that when people when, when people look at Feanor, when people look at Sauron, when people look at Morgoth, they should they should it, it should be like. It is tragedy. Like that is, it, it is right. tragic to see that character have gone in that that character who had such incredible potential choose that path. Yeah. Um, right. So yeah, I'm I think. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Like, like you know, the the I, I love the Ina Lindelay. I love reading it, but there, it, you feel a little removed. You don't, you know, like like it's not. You're not sympathizing with those characters. You're not thinking of of the 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 Morgoth. Or Melkor is, is like a character that you're in personally invested in and is feeling sad that he's gone bad. It feels like it's a you're a little detached. It's, you're kind of like watching something. Right. It's a little clinical. It's just like and here, let us explain sort of in broad strokes just exactly what went wrong with everything. And so, I think for for a visual depiction on screen, we want to be at the level of the characters so that we actually so yeah so we feel it inside and we're like oh that sucks he was such a good right you know, oh, he's such a good had so much potential. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Now, you know what I actually think of is um, in one of Tolkien's letters, he talks about how Gandalf would have been if he'd had the ring, and he says, I think he even says that he probably would have been even more terrible than Sauron because of the fact that he would have started out doing everything for the good of 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 Middle Earth. You know that that was his. And, and Cor, you kind of said that a little bit to yes. Melkor. In other words, Melkor starts out being like, "I, I know what's right. I know what how exactly. things should be." Exactly. Kind of thing. And he does. That's what He's very wise, of. right? Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, his his problem is not in like being ignorant or being malicious, but just in being like too controlling and too unwilling to see. Convinced of his own rightness. Exactly. Yes. Too convinced of his own rightness, um, and too yep. convinced of his own of his own rights. 
right? Uh, you know, the right. fact that he has the right and privilege to do this more than other people. Um, Plus that miserliness thing that you yes, were talking about. Yes, yes, the know. miserliness thing. I've become more and more attached to that idea uh, as yeah. I've been thinking about it more. Um, that uh, that's, uh, that metaphor um, of, of you know, Melkor... Uh, Melkor is a miser of, of, of light and even therefore in a sense of goodness is, um, uh, is, 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 that just kind of occurred to me spontaneously in, in, in the last session. But I think I, 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 I've really become attached to that idea too. I think it's a really, it's a really cool way of, of, of thinking about it. Um, was, uh, is there something I was just about to say, but I can't remember what it was. Um, Let's see. There was something else. Oh, I, I, uh, and this, this actually, this attaches, this, this dovetails with today's discussion. But I kind of like sort of one, one, one sort of storyline I see or arc I see um, lining up with this, um, with this season, which I think, which I think could be a potential sort of okay. What kind of story do we want to tell with Aragorn? Is um, there's kind of like this is this is this this is sort of the this is a story of a fall and then also a story of like like this first season is basically Artemard right like right this wonderful creation and everything goes wrong and and it's not just um, it's not just like boy Melkor fell and screwed everything up but it's it's also like people ha- um, the Valar having to make sort of what they would consider to be distasteful decisions yes to, the decision to go to war. Which, exactly, which we actually see is a pretty like a recurring theme, um, you know, uh, throughout a lot of Tolkien's writings, especially especially in some of the the um, the, the apocryphal stuff that he does. Like, like um, you know, I, I, I think I think I think that could be a very yeah. interesting. If we if we want to sort of draw a lesson from this, it could be or, or for for um, Estelle, it could be sort of. Uh, yeah, when, sometimes you have to do bad things because somebody else is doing something worse, and you basically have no choice. And it's yeah, it's not great, but you know what can you do? Right, exactly. I mean, and that's I do think there should be that that sense of tragedy that we were uh-huh. talking about. I think should really culminate at the declaration of war. You know, when the Valar realize and probably very grudgingly realize that not only you know so it's. They have to not only acknowledge that Melkor has gone wrong, which of course takes them a while to perceive and to, and to acknowledge. It takes them a while mm-hmm. to perceive and even longer to acknowledge. But that they actually have to go to war against him, um, as the only way to preserve Arta, um, that I think takes them even longer to, to sort of really reconcile themselves to that idea. And when they do it, uh, you know, I mean, there are going to be some of the Valar, such as Tolkis, who are pretty excited about that uh, and really cheerful about going to war because it's what they like and it's what they do, in a sense. Um, or, or again, at least like Tolkis, it fits more into, you know, his thing. But... Mm-hmm. But overall, you know, for them to, for, for them to, to bring themselves to, we have to have a war. Like, that should be a shocking idea. You know, I mean, it should be a completely appalling concept that there would have to be war. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that, you know, that's where I, I'm thinking back to, uh, uh, Tom Hillman's awesome suggestion, uh, for the episode title of that episode, The War to Begin All Wars. Um, yeah. 
because that you know th- that should really be you know really be kind of laying laying the template thinking too of you know of, of Faramir's comments in the two towers right about uh you know the yes the, exactly you know, that's what i was thinking not too. loving the sword for its for its sharpness right or the arrow for its uh-huh. swiftness um that spirit right of not you know and 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 sort of show you know w- when we get to places, as we sh- surely shall before very long, get to places where we have we we are depicting like a warrior culture, people who are quite excited about going to war. Yeah. It should be clear if you watch the whole series that that's a degradation, right? Um, that that's yeah. a decline. Um, th- pe- people who are in that state, you can be heroic within that frame, right? It's not that it's like a wicked or or evil place to be, but it's it's the result of a fall if you mm-hmm. get there um that is on, on that point one one just sort of minor minor thing that i like a nuance or or something that maybe i would go in a slightly different direction than, than what you guys proposed was with the um the two uh missing valar the valar of war yes one potential thing that might be that that would add, that would play into this sort of nuance would be if they didn't actually go over to Melkor, or at least one of them didn't. But it's more it's more the fact that they suddenly take on a more prominent role within within the Valar organizational structure, like right. that, that that they that the other Valar finally embrace them. Um, um, you know, would be a sign of that that Melkor's corruptive. That the Valar themselves are not a hundred percent. Um, I, you know, they're not that they're not preserved from Melkor's corruptive structure. That they, they, you know, much like Gondor, um, that the corruption seeps in even into the good guys, even as they're doing what they should be doing, doing the right thing. They are nonetheless like they're not themselves. Yeah, it's 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 that's going to be an interesting thing to do because on the one hand, the Valar aren't perfect. Right? I mean, they make mistakes they screw up and Tolkien's very explicit about the fact that the Valar screw up um I mean I would want to be careful about depicting the Valar themselves as sort of morally compromised entirely um we'd have to be cautious about that um because of course they do you know uh, I'm thinking especially especially of Manwe and Varda and in a, in a sense really especially of Varda um mm-hmm. you know the way that she that 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 the two of them and Varda in particular um are still you know sort of spoken of in sort of highly consecrated and holy terms um mm-hmm. but uh but at the same time you know if we have them I I do think it's going to be necessary for us to sh- we're again they're going to be screwing up they're going to be making mistakes um mm-hmm. and I think that there's nothing wrong with sh- with showing them make mistakes even if they're sort of mistakes of not just errors in judgment not just this is what we think is best oops but that turned out not to be best that's the kind of mistake that the, we see the Valar making most often but Aulay's mm-hmm mistake with the dwarves right Mm -hmm. that was a that was an actual moral failing on his part Mm -hmm. you know that was a that was that was a that was not just an error in judgment that was a sin that he committed and was forgiven for and so we have some i mean i and i i trust you could see the distinction that i'm making there between those between those two things um 
That is to say, it, what I mean by a sin he committed is he vi- he didn't just do something that was less than perfectly wise. He violated the will of Iluvatar. Um, and so therefore, I think that, so we have precedent in that sense for the Valar violating the will of the, uh, of Iluvatar and yet being forgiven and accepted nevertheless. Um, so I think we, 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 we can do that. Um, but, but I, I think we do have to be careful about the idea of them sort of, uh, um, yeah sort of dropping down. Brian Biggs says uh, somewhat jokingly, but Brian, actually, that's exactly the kind of thing I'm thinking of. Brian says, if we make the Valar too fallible, I may side with our Ferrazon, he says. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, mean, well, I don't know, like, I'm not thinking of them as being fallible, but I'm thinking of them as it's, you know, like, like they kind of do what they have to do, but at the end of it, they look around and say, boy, we just, you know, when we go to war against Melkor, we kind of break everything. Right. Um, and as far as we could tell, we had no choice, and it's not like we would go back and do things differently than we did. But they, at the end of all of it, they certainly make the decision, all right, we're not doing this again unless we absolutely have to, because it's just too, the cost is really, really high. Um, yeah. And so so I think, I think, you know, just even if it's the right thing to do um, – uh, this is this is true of uh, shoot. What's his name? The Mariner. Uh, the the story from Unfinished Tales. Um, um, uh, shoot the 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 um, the the ugh, crap. The Mariner. You know what I'm talking about the story of the guy and his wife. <laughs> um, in Unfinished Tales. Oh, the, oh the, the the Numenorean story. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's what's so beautiful yeah. about that story. Like he 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 like folds himself in knots over this decision to to sail to Middle Earth and fight Sauron, because the ultimate conclusion is that that he has no you know he asks the question how can I not act how can I do nothing yes. and the answer is you have, you must act yes. nonetheless recognizing this is all going to go horribly wrong down the road. Right, exactly. There are going to be, like, yes, make no mistake, there will be serious negative consequences of what you're doing. But there will be worse serious negative consequences of your not doing anything. That's where I think, you know, that's what I see as the culmination of the episode prior to their going to war. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm sort of foreseeing a a really important speech from Mandos there, right? Where Mm -hmm. some of the Valar are saying, if we go to war... We're gonna break Arda, you know. Like it's the, the, the Arda. Arda will be marred, you know. The, this the the strife between the Valar will be, you know. This will be part of 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 Arda forever, you know. This strife will be at the will be at the heart of things, and have uh, have have Mando sort of step up and say, um, "It already is," you know. Like that's that's that is already the, you know. The, the the question is merely, are we going to resist evil or not um but strife is already there and there is no avoiding strife um because there can there 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 can be no peaceful reconciliation between you know between i think light and darkness what what really excites me um and so and then probably we should move on to the narrative story but what really excites me is that the, the the danger with this season is kind of it has the feeling of being a um, like a preliminary sort of you know like well, right. well we just gotta get through this season until the elves wake up and we get on to the real meat of the Silmarillion. I actually sort of now when I look at the broad strokes the arc of this season, 
this is going to be an awesome season. I'm glad we have an entire season with no elves. Just for <laughs> right. how long the right. stuff they're doing. Like, well, like this is going to be this season is is the even if the even if the show got canceled after the season, it would have been a, it would be a great <laughs> it would be good. That's right. Series. It would have it would have covered all the important meat, all the important you know themes of Tolkien would have right. been nailed right just in the season. Right, exactly. And you think about the. Think about the cumulative effect. This is the thing that really excites me about the prospects of this as an adaptation project, right? Um, mm-hmm. Think about the way in which the references to the Valar... I mean, think about the cumulative effect of this series if it proceeds along the lines that we've been talking, right? You know, in the first series you are completely invested in the story of the Valar, right? You get to know the Valar as characters, and as you say, Dave, you see those... Um, you see those central themes um, uh, in place, right, and 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 developing. But we get this, we, you know. We, so we are invested in the drama of what the Valar are attempting to do in Middle Earth, and we see their investment in it and everything. And then we get the story of the elves. But we get the story of the elves in that context. Even when the focus of the narrative shifts to the elves, the viewer isn't going to forget the Valar, right? So then, when the Valar get their comparatively minor roles. In the story of the Valar, we don't. In the story of the elves, we don't. We don't forget about them, right? We're 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 not just bringing in some alien character that the reader is barely familiar with, as is the experience of many people in reading the Silmarillion. Um, yes. But instead, we 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 can see the later the story of the of, of the later story of the elves and how it's connected to. Think how much more poignant the rebellion of the Noldor is going to look after having had this whole experience in season one with the rebellion of Melkor, right? Um, it's going to be, it's, it's, it, I mean, I, it, I think the emotional impact of that is going to be very, very different. Um, so the way that we are kind of anchoring these stories in the past as we go is, God, that's so cool. I think it's going to be awesome. Um, one other comment, I, rem- I remembered, by the way, the comment I had wanted to make before, and that is about the, uh, the, the sense of depth. Um, you know, David, you were, you were talking about how we were discussing, uh, doing a lot of the, a lot of the Ina Lindelay material, um, and that is, I'm thinking in particular, those references to things that happened prior to Arda, conversations that happened, Melkor in the Void, all that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily just the music itself. Um, but, uh, th- I love the idea of having that stuff come in, um, either in flashback or in, um, or in, you know, in, in dialogue, in exposition. Um, because it, it, you know, one of the things I remember, you know, in, um, in the, in the preface to volume one of the history of Middle Earth series, the, to the Book of Lost Tales volume one, Christopher Tolkien addresses the question of the perception of depth, right? And he says, um, he says, of course, you know, many people have noted that one of the things that really gives the Lord of the Rings its, 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 its richness is that perception of depth, that, uh, that, that, that sense of, you know, story upon story, history upon history that lies behind it, um, that we don't really know. And he addresses, Christopher addresses the, um, the sort of fear that some people have that if all of those stories are told, that it'll lose something, that it'll lose that sense of depth. Um, mm-hmm. and again, I certainly think that's not going to be the effect because we're going to be you're going to be remembering. I mean, it's just going to make it much, much cooler when in, you know, when something is happening in season six, uh, you know, with the elves in, in, in Middle Earth and we're, 
able to see the parallels and the connections back to what happened in season one. Um, that's, that, that, that's, that's very far from losing that, that sense of depth. But, the way that we were talking about doing that with having the focal, um, having the, you know, the all, almost all of the action, uh, you know, the, the primary action of the, of season one, um, being split between Almarin and Valinor, um, and, and only having the stuff in the void and the stuff outside of Arda happening in flashbacks. So what, what you see is that we're able to build a perception of depth even from the beginning of days, from the, from the birth of Arda, because there's still a back history. Right. There's still all, all, you know, all we don't know any. There's no sense of what length of time the Valar existed in the halls of Iluvatar prior to the formation of Arda. But I'm guessing it was not that short a time, you know. So um, so there's there is a lot of rich history and backstory before they even get to Arda. And we can we can, you know, try to sort of show and suggest that. And I think that's I think that's pretty awesome. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, and of anyway, course. That's all to say. Way to go, guys. Good yeah. episode. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, that was cool. I can retire now. <laughs> um, oh, and by the way, yes, we we didn't mention Aldarion and Arendis. Of course, is the name of the story you, yes. were, you were you were referring to. Yeah, yeah the, the, the Numenorean story. Yeah. Right, get it together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, good. Well, let's, we, sh- I agree we should probably, we should, we should move on. Uh, let's, uh, do, want to do two things, uh, briefly here before we shift to the topic for today, which is the narrative frame story. So, uh, first, uh, uh, announcement time. Um, uh, a bunch of stuff going on at, uh, uh, Mythgard and Signum University right now. And, uh, and, uh, and many things coming up, uh, soon. Um, of course, the main thing that's going on right now, this, uh, we are, we have come on this day, uh, to the end of the very first week of our classes, the fall classes. Um, they have been awesome. It's been off to, off to a really great start. They're, they're like just as cool as I thought. Um, we've got a wonderful enrollment this semester, uh, more students than we've ever had before. It's really great. Um, there is still time if you want to join, especially if you want to audit the classes. You can always get the recordings and catch up on the first week. Uh, there have been a bunch of people who have been joining and auditing in the last couple days here, so it's still not too late for that. So that's, again, the Star Wars class, uh, the Introduction to Anglo-Saxon, and the uh, uh, and Tolkien's Wars in Middle-Earth, uh, John Garth's uh, class on, on, on Tolkien. I was sitting in on the, the first of John Garth's class on Monday. Um, uh, Dave is hilarious. He, he has a, a photo. I'd never seen this photo before. A photo of the teenage Tolkien dressed as the god Hermes. Uh, uh, in, in, when he was basically in a high school theater production where they were, do, where they were doing, I think, an Aristophanes poem or play. And, and he was dressed up as the god Hermes. So like teenage Tolkien huh. in a, like a winged helm with a caduceus in his hand. <laughs> Priceless. Priceless. You know, and he made the point of, you know, that the Tolkien we have in our, most of us have in our brains is the one in his 60s and later, you know, and, and the truth is his his productive years were from his youth through like age 58 or so, you know, it's like he was basically saying, you know, let's look at younger photos of Tolkien, you know, that's right. really the guy who produced this stuff, which I thought, gosh, you know, I never really thought of that, it's true. Right, and yeah, and, and yeah, and he made the, the further really interesting point that to to some extent, of course, the that that you know the tweed wearing pipes pipe smoking Tolkien like that's the face that he put on when reporters came to the house you know right. um, 
it, it was, it was, it was. Right. He played a role. Yeah, yes. it was, it was, it, that was kind of self-constructed. I mean, I, it's not that I, th- it's, I mean, we know he smoked a pipe anyway, so it's not like he was faking that or something, but, um, but, but I mean, he, he, he would do, he would deliberately adopt that. And the, the interesting point that John Garth made is, you know, people like to think of, People picture that Tolkien, that, that, that Tolkien in his sixties and seventies with his pipe when they imagine him writing the Lord of the Rings, uh, 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 you know, and, and writing his work. But Trish, as you said, uh, Garth's point was that all of his productive years were far earlier. And in right. fact, the times that he, the times that he's spending, um, <laughs> the, the, the times. Sorry. That, that's okay. That's my tea. That's my tea. Teapot. <laughs> Your teapot, excellent. Ah, the brewing of tea on Silmarillion Film Project. Um, anyway, the time that he spent uh, talking to reporters and making public appearances, dressed in tweed and smoking a pipe, he was doing at the expense of doing the Silmarillion. I mean, you read his letters through that period, and he's just like increasingly in despair. Am I ever going to get a chance to finish this project? Right. Um, right. So, like, in a sense, all of those public appearances were were like helping him not to be productive anymore. So the idea of Tolkien looking as we all picture him writing anything is inaccurate. Because when he looked like that, he wasn't writing anymore, he essentially. Right. He was trying to and, and failing. And my my mental image of Tolkien changed permanently when I reread Carpenter's biography and he tells us the small story of him chasing a neighbor down the street dressed in full Viking regalia. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I'm like, okay, there's more to this guy than just these these promo photos. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he's all of the stories, all of the stories from his earlier life are of a guy who is not this like quiet retiring I like to sit under trees with a pipe kind of right. guy, but he was a really dynamic character. I mean, he was he was I mean, he talks about this in his letters and he talks about it sort of self-effacingly, but it does appear to be true that he 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 got onto the he, the re the reason he got onto the starting rugby team uh, at at his at his at St Edwards at at his at his high school basically um, is is not because he was particularly skilled at rugby but because he was more ferocious than everybody else because he was just like a savage rugby player uh, and he was so he was so uh, forceful in his personality and in his style of play uh, that he intimidated other people <laughs> like that's that's that like that's that's Tolkien's character that that is young Tolkien's character and it's so far removed from how we imagine him anyway and of course i yeah. do i do love the, also the story of him later Later in life, um, uh, reciting the nun's priest tale from memory in Middle English in full like costume, dressed up like Chaucer. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah no, it's it's re- this really. Um, uh, Really, really fun stuff. So, uh, anyway, I said here I'm, I'm now getting all distracted uh, thinking about the, the 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 classes from this semester and everything. But this is as much as to say there's still time uh, if you want to uh, if you want to to to, to join in, um, especially auditing. You can still even if you want to take the classes for credit, there's still time for that. Um, but uh, auditing, of course, is even easier because you will have missed less less and can get caught up more easily. So just to make sure everybody knows that that's still. Um, that's still uh, uh, that's st- that's still on the table. Uh, another uh, event that's coming up. We talked about it last time, but I again I strongly uh, uh, urge uh, 
urge you to consider this if you are uh, anywhere in the middle portion of the East Coast, especially. Um, we are having a mini conference, uh, uh, Midmoot, the Mid Atlantic uh, uh, Imaginative uh, Fiction Symposium. Um, I'm probably getting the name wrong. Um, on October 3rd, Saturday, October 3rd, we're having a, a, a one-day mini-conference. Uh, Verlin Flieger is going to be our guest speaker. Of course, there's been a lot of buzz, obviously, about the publication of Coolervo, the... the Coolervo book that's uh, coming out soon that has come out now in 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 the UK will not come out in America still for some time but uh, but anyway it's it's uh, it's 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 coming out she edited that she's going to be there talking about Coolervo and answering questions about it um, so you know if you want to get a chance to talk to Dr Flieger Carl Hostetter one of the one of the the he's one of the editors of Tolkien's uh, uh, philological papers that is you know he's one of the one of the world's experts on Quenya and Tolkien's language development he's going to be there too uh, I'm planning to go down there so I mean it's a, a great environment to to be able to uh, you know, come and there's going to be cool presentations and you'll get a chance in this sort of, you know, a pretty intimate environment to be able to meet and hang out with lots of awesome Tolkien people. And um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be very cool. So um, so that's again, that, that's at the University of Maryland, October 3rd. Um, if you go to the MythGuard.org uh, page and, and go to the events uh, tab, you will be able to find the full webpage and full details on that and the registration place for that. So um, that is an exciting event that's coming up very soon. Uh, another event that's coming up, another thing that's beginning even sooner. Um, we are getting ready. We are coming to the end of the Lays of Balerion class. Um, for those people who have been taking the Lays of Balerion class and are not confident that I will get to the end, I'm totally going to. So um, we have one more week of the Ways of Balerion class, and then we start our next uh, book, which is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. We're going to be talking about that beginning on Wednesday, the 16th of September. Um, so do your reading first, chapters one through eight for uh, September 16th. Um, we will have, uh, uh, we'll have more on that, uh, uh, very soon. You know, I'll have the full schedule worked out. Um, but, which I don't quite have yet, but, uh, but anyway, that's going to be really exciting. I'm, 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 I'm reading right now. I'm still in the middle of reading it for the first time. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. Really looking forward to talking about it. It's going to take us a long time to do this book because we're going to do the way. And then I want to talk about the miniseries too, of course. So, um, <laughs> So start reading if you want to do the Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell class. That, of course, is part of the Mythgard Academy classes, which are free and open to all. So I hope that you will uh, you will take advantage of that opportunity. Finally, uh, one uh, advanced thing that is coming up. Um, it is almost it is it is the summer is moving towards an end and we are moving into fall and that means it's almost time for the Mythgard and Signum University fundraising campaign for this year. Um, we have a lot of really fun stuff scheduled uh, this fall. We're going to kick off our fundraising campaign on, uh, on, on, on Hobbit Day, on Bilbo's birthday, and then we're going to go through uh, Halloween. Um, you know, we're going to go through the 31st of October. Um, we have a bunch of things scheduled. We have, uh, including some, uh, some, some film film stuff and very special guests. And, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be, I'm going to do a couple, uh, uh, sort of bonus Mythgard Academy sessions. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be really fun. So, um, Lotro, there's Lotro stuff. Lotro stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, it we, we're going to be, uh, we're, 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 we're really excited about a bunch of the things that we're planning for this year. So just kind of be aware. 
coolness is imminent from late September through October. It's going to be great. Um, and uh, lastly, we want to uh, sort of uh, uh, give a, a few shout outs uh, to people who have been working on uh, stuff for the film film project. Um, one thing we wanted to draw people's attention to, uh, 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 and uh, Trish, did you want to talk about this about, about, about Brianna's project? Oh gosh. Well, I, I, yeah, I guess I, I could do that. Um, so Brianna Melvin, who's a steady Eddie listener and uh, all around great uh, supporter of Tolkien in general and Mythgard in particular, has a post up in the um, general topics section of the discussion board in the across the series uh, uh, category and it's she's she's asking for volunteers um, she wants to uh, provide adequate reference for all designers and artists involved in the Simmerian project we're aiming to create a document which provides organized information using direct sources from the various texts with a focus on passages that provide information concerning the physical and visual attributes of all those characters characters, locations, and items. So it's kind of like a creating an inventory of everything that Tolkien's written that would, you know, that would have some impact on design, costuming, uh, you know, all that stuff. And it's she start, she's this is something she already had started. So this is, you know, I mean, it's like pretty amazing. But as she says, it's a dawning attempt to as a dying test to attempt solo. So she's um, asking for volunteers to help. And there's more details on her. Um, post and subsequent conversations as to how she's envisioning this thing going forward. But I think this will be an amazing effort. I mean, an amazing result once the team does it. So I wanted to call that to people's attentions. Yeah, this is a great idea. Um, I, I mean, I, just to, to, to sort of gather all of this information that we can, that's going to be an incredibly valuable resource and really fun to do. I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, if you've ever heard of... Uh, you know, I mean, I, this is something that I've sometimes heard about, you know, this kind of thing, like, you know, when people are planning and writing films and stuff and they're like, oh, well, first we must do all this research and make a list of all these things. And I'm like, that sounds like so much fun. I could totally do that. Um, it would be so just getting involved in this. Uh, that sounds that sounds really, really really awesome. So thanks, Brianna, and for the, getting the that link organized. To, the link to this, uh, to this, so you don't have to go hunting and pecking, uh, Megan is going to include the link in her show notes. So Great. once the show notes are up on the film film page, you can just go to it straight from there. Great. Great. Speaking of which, uh, Megan, <laughs> uh, Megan is doing a wonderful job uh, um, doing our show notes. So we just wanted to give sort of a shout out to her. Um, it's been really uh, extremely valuable for us to be able to have those. It was especially valuable to Dave uh, <laughs> since he wasn't here last time. But no, um, it's been it's it's that's been really wonderful. Um, uh, so I, we really we would not be able. There's no way you know we'd be able to keep notes while we were going or remember half of what we said after we did. So uh, I think we'll be able to publish this thing as a book just based on Megan's notes. We can take right. all of Megan's notes when we're done and just publish it as a book. <laughs> yeah, we're going to between between the you know. You know, the stuff that we have from our, from Megan's notes and the stuff that uh, you know our listeners are formulating, there's um, really an enormous <laughs> amount of material we are going to have. Um, it is. It's true. Yeah, yeah. It's true. Maybe Christopher Tolkien will get really in- excited about it, and you know, say, "Okay, guys, I'll." That you seems. Know. That seems so... very unlikely. <laughs> that oh, seems sure. really oh, yeah. unlikely. Totally. Totally likely. Totally. I anyway, I can't believe he hasn't contacted us yet. I, mean, I, I know, know exactly. Like maybe he wants to wait and see how season one goes. First. <laughs> right, right. You know, he's listening and watching, and you know, 
anyway. I personally think it's he just trusts us to to do the right thing, whatever we want. <laughs> Stuff and he just, you know, he's just like, you know what? Hey, you guys, go for it. Good job. Right. So you're, you're, <laughs> you? You're going to take Christopher Tolkien's silence as implicit faith. That's that's yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. It's a tacit silence endorsement. Yeah. Approval. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. We, yeah. You know, I, I will. I will stop short of actually saying that in print. Exactly. But, Let me say yeah. for the record that we are not assuming that the Tolkien the Tolkien estate <laughs> has not officially endorsed this project, and we are not actually saying that the Tolkien estate or Christopher Tolkien has indeed endorsed or or for you know anything That's that right. we are doing. We are completely unconnected with the Tolkien estate. Just sorry, I'm just giving some fine print disclaimers. Well, I don't want anybody. I mean, I, I'm I'm just. Just imagining, like you know, somebody on Twitter being like, "Tolkien props in and Christopher Tolkien approved of the summer." No, 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 we're joke joking about that. That is a joke. I just want to make sure it's, wish, it's wishful thinking, <laughs> exactly. but it's not actually true. Not, not actually true. Not actually true. Um, Good. Also, and a, a, a quick thank you to Philip Menzies, who has also been uh, uh, helping us. He's the sort of uh, we we definitely need some assistance uh, with uh, as a, he's helping us out with being the discussion board uh, an overview guy you know, and helping us to uh, sort of oversee what's going on and um, and uh, sort of helping to be a liaison uh, between us and, and 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 all the people who are posting. This is such a huge and. Uh, uh, it, th- this is a huge and I believe will be a growing community and uh, you know it's going to be impossible for us to be in touch with everybody and stay on top of everything that's going on so uh, you know we're 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 excited to be kind of building a a you know team of people who are engaged with this who can really be you know helping us out in direct ways and so thanks Philip for for your help there okay Let's move into the meat of our episode then today and talk <laughs> about the narrative frame story. So here's here's the um, here's the thing. We had already agreed. We agreed b- back when we were talking about the frame projection um, in season zero um, that season one's going to be Aragorn. Okay, um, and uh, so we need to work out exactly how this goes. I think we should be thinking in terms of having, especially the first episode, well, we'll have to talk about, you know, uh, the first episode is going to be coming in our next ep- next uh, episode for us. You know, the, our next session is going to be talking about um, episode one of season one, so we'll actually get to, to work this out in more detail next time. Um, but we're going to need to be establishing the frame. We don't just want this to be a, a, a sort of we're not going to do a hokey thing of just like having the curtain rise on like uh, you know Aragorn sitting there in Rivendell and and Elrond standing in front of him and then Elrond starting a lecture. It, it's not an excuse. We want to be telling the story of Aragorn. So the biggest question is, you know, we don't want it to be a to be a, 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 a again. We want we want there to be a story told within the frame and have that story interacting with the story uh, within the frame. You know, with the with the story with the first age story. Um, in, in some interesting ways. So our, our challenge here today is what story, what's going to be the, the main story with Aragorn in, uh, in season one within the frame? Um, I'm thinking, by the way, especially since we're going to need to, you know, we have like 20 years worth of episodes, we, we, we need to save, um, some of Aragorn's time. Um, I'm thinking we, this is a young Aragorn frame. Yep. Very young Aragorn. 
Yeah. Let's not, um, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Exactly. Pre-meeting pre Arwen. Well pre-meeting like Arwen. Very young, well pre-meeting Arwen. Yes. Well, like yes. young, like just arrived as a child kind of thing as when we start out. Right. And so just to, to, uh, to refresh everyone's memory about the, uh, chronology of Aragorn, both how old he was at various points in his life and, uh, at what, po and, and what was going on elsewhere. And so I'm, I'm here, I'm in Appendix B, I'm in the Tale of Years here, uh, for this particular memory refresher. Um, he's born in 2931, uh, it's 11 years after the death of the old Took. Um, uh, so, uh, Bilbo is still around. Bilbo is, is older than Aragorn. Um, Bilbo was born in, in 2890. Um, so, uh, he is, if, uh, he's 41 years, Bilbo is 41 years older than Aragorn. That's one thing to keep in mind. Um, uh, Aragorn is taken to, uh, to Rivendell by Gilrine when he's two. Right when he's two, his when his father dies, and he is taken to Rivendell. So he has been in Rivendell since he was two. Aragorn is going to have no memory of life outside of or before Rivendell. So that's an important thing for us to remember. That's when he's given the name Estel, and his ancestry is concealed. Um, th uh, the Hobbit takes place in twenty nine forty one. So uh, Aragorn is exactly ten. When Bilbo, Thorin, and Gandalf and company come through Rivendell and find the Moon Letters and head out towards Erebor, it's in the next year, 2942, when Bilbo returns. So Bilbo and Gandalf coming back from Erebor happens when uh, Aragorn is 11. Okay. Um, the next major event in uh, his life is the meeting with Arwen, uh, and that's in 2951. That is, Aragorn is 20. At his, on his, at, 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 when he's 20 years old, he's told his true name in history, and that's when he meets Arwen. Um, now, the, uh, this other uh, interesting uh, element, which I think is relevant uh, to our discussions for this season, um, Tolkien gives the date 2956, that's five years after... Um, uh, Aragorn meets, uh, Arwen, and then, and by the way, the end of that entry says, Aragorn goes out into the wild. So, the implication is that he did pretty much live in and about Rivendell until he was 20. Um, so we, uh, if we're going to follow the tale of years scrupulously, we, we shouldn't have Aragorn taking long journeys out into the wild until after he meets Arwen and turns 20. But he, so he has five years of traveling out in the wild, before, in 2956, Aragorn meets Gandalf and their friendship begins. Um, he can see Gandalf, I think, when he's 10, but, um, uh, you know, when he's 10 and 11, when Gandalf comes through, but they don't really establish, they don't really establish a relationship, um, until, uh, he's 25, uh, at 2956. And it's at, right after that, from 2957 to 2980, um, so, you know, during that 23-year period, that's when Aragorn undertakes his great journeys. That's when he is in Rohan and Gondor and the whole Thorngill episode and all that stuff happens during that time frame. And the end point, what happens in 2980, um, so by this point, he's now almost 50. He's 49 years old now. Um, that's when he meets Arwen in Lorien at Karen Amroth. Um, so that's sort of the, that, that last kind of major turning point. And the next reference to Aragorn in the Tale of Years, um, is when Aragorn and Gandalf are hunting for Gollum. And that's not until way up in 
3009 in that time between when Bilbo leaves the Shire and when uh, the, you know, between chapter one and chapter two of the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, so that's the context of, uh, of what we have, uh, of what we have going on here. By the way, uh, the uh, other, other things I would mention briefly the the again just for for sort of context outside of uh, what's going on here um, the uh, the meeting where was it um, yes yeah, Saruman is already going bad during his during Aragorn's sort of earlier years the last meeting of the White Council where they debate the rings and Saruman is like oh it rolled down the river to the sea it's all good um, that's way up in twenty nine fifty three. Uh, so that's, in other words, that's right in that five year period between when he has his first encounter with Arwen and when he, um, uh, sets off on, he meets Gandalf and then sets off on his journeys. So, in other words, the alliance between, the friendship and alliance between Aragorn and Gandalf is after the last meeting of the White Council. So basically, the last meeting of the White Council, Saruman's like, everything's fine. Gandalf is like, dude, everything is totally not fine. Um, you know, when Gandalf basically starts going his own way and working against Sauron independently of Saruman, and, and even, uh, depending on which version of it we read, in opposition to, Sau- to Saruman, um, that's already happened, and it's kind of in that context that... Gandalf meets Aragorn and finds in him an ally and the two of them start working together. So that's a story that we, that's, that's a story for a future season, perhaps. Um, Aragorn's kind of taking up his, and I think it's obviously no accident that Tolkien has placed those things the way that he has. Gandalf, uh, wanting to act and needing an ally, um, his meeting with Aragorn and Aragorn setting off on his great journeys and his great travels. Those things are all, I think, pretty plainly connected. So um, that seems to me an important story, but that's not the season one story. Um, nor is Aragorn and Arwen the season one story. I think we got to stay far away from that because obviously we have to do his meeting with Arwen in the context of the Baron and Luthien story, right? I mean, that's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. So, yes. uh, right. so I think, I mean, that's got to happen. And what do we figure out? We don't do that. that Baron and- Baron and Luthien's not until what season? I think we figured as like season four, four, 40, likely like the earliest, maybe or, five. Or five. <laughs> Frankly, yeah. so let's yeah, not Corey rush. And I actually went through and I calculated where it would probably fall based on what we decide, but we figured it was like at least four, if not five. Yeah, hmm. yeah, um, yeah. It's hard to so see. Let's not rush. Yeah, let's yeah. Not, let's no. not rush Aragorn here. No, no, no. We're we're not we're not gonna we're 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 not in a big rush to get Aragorn to puberty. Basically, it's it's not. Um, however, I do think uh, so many problems when puberty comes. Oh, no, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, let's. Um, yeah. So so Philip, I agree. It, it, we 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 cannot miss the opportunity to have. Bilbo and the dwarves, right? I mean, like, that's gotta, that's oh, gotta, yeah. that, we can't miss that overlap. Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> and we're gonna do it, we're gonna take- do it, we're gonna do it, um, Marvel Cinematic Universe style, too. We're gonna have Martin <laughs> Freeman make, like, a one second cameo on screen. I can't afford any more. <laughs> well, than actually, Corey and I thought of, I don't know if it's early in this process to talk about this, but we thought about the idea of having Bilbo be like he's looking at like a mural 
right? Or may, it, like it's maybe the mural that actually starts a Stelov asking about how yeah, so started. yeah, so let's. Well, I, we, we were thinking of this wanna, maybe yeah. as a as as the end, right? So okay, so oh yeah, that's right, that's right. I'm thinking of of the that point, the point at which he's 11 years old and uh, Bilbo is returning on his journey. That strikes me as a, a logical ending point for the arc, for the frame arc of season one. Um, and that maybe it would be cool to have an actual conversation, a, an actual meeting and conversation between adolescent Aragorn and, uh, and Bilbo as he comes back from his journey. Um, be, uh, be, a th- because it, I, I think there's a lot of really interesting, there's much that the two of them have in common and yet sort of much that they can offer each other, right? Um, when I think about 11 year old Aragorn and, uh, and Bilbo, and of course it's, it's fun to think about the friendship between Bilbo and Aragorn starting way back then, you know, for them to have their first meeting there. Um, and so, you know, like, you know, thinking about the conversation between Bilbo and Aragorn that we get in, uh, it, you know, in, in the, in the, um, in, in Rivendell, right? About his poem and everything. Um, uh, you know, just imagining those like many, many decades of, of, of friendship that, you know, stretch all the way back to Aragorn's childhood is, is makes that even more appealing. Yeah. You know, like, why does Bilbo talk, uh, talk to Aragorn sort of as casually as that? Well, cause he knew him when he was a kid, right? You know, he's, yeah, he's, he's seen right. this guy grow up. Um, uh, but anyway, um, so, uh, so I, 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 my, my, so here's, so, all right, my thought, my thought. I'm so excited! Let me just, I know, I know, it's all right. <laughs> Let me finish what I was saying about, um, what going on? about the two of them, um, uh, similarities and differences. So, okay. Bilbo coming home from his journey, right? Bilbo has just had a traumatic experience. I think about the song that, you know, the, 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 the roads go ever, ever on the, the first version of that poem, the one that he sings in the last chapter of the Hobbit. Um, and you know, remember his, his words there about, you know, eyes that fire and sword, uh, eyes of fire and sword have seen in horror in the halls of stone. Look again on uh, meadows, green and trees and hills. They once have known, um, that question of can, can you go back again? What is going back again going to be like, um, is he different? Is he going to be able to go back home again? Um, Bilbo has just had his first encounter with, not just with the world, but with darkness, with evil, with, with battle, with war. Um, thinking about the way that we're shaping season one and how it's going to culminate in the war to begin all wars and the marring of Arda and strife at the heart of Arda and, you know, having to kind of come to grips with that. To have at the end of the season... Bilbo, who is himself coming to grips with that, he's just had that first experience where, you know, he's or like Bilbo's own trajectory, you know, from his sort of the peaceful, innocent Shire through Erebor and back. And he's still kind of reeling and trying to figure out what to do with this. It puts him in a really interesting position to be a voice at the end of this season. And Aragorn. Um, but of course, also, the other thing about Bilbo, though, is that he's still pretty alien to the whole elf world. Right. I mean, he's 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 encountered it now. He he was in Rivendell before. He's met, of course, uh, you know, the Elven King and the Wood Elves, and he's spent a little bit more time with them now. Uh, that is time when he wasn't invisible, and um, and he's coming back to to Rivendell, you know, to meet the Elves again. But he still doesn't really know anything. 
you know, you know, like certainly the history, the first age history that Bilbo is going to go on to translate and write is still unknown to him as yet. He's still, he's still, you know, an ignorant and parochial hobbit at this point. Aragorn is young, has not had the experiences of the world that Bilbo has just had, but he will know the stories because he will have, he has been raised for the last 11 years in the house of Elrond and he is being told the stories. And especially if over the course of the first season, we're having essentially, you know, a kind of early education of Aragorn, um, you know, his grounding in the fundamental stories and, 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 you know, because these things are going to be really important to him, not just historically, um, but this whole issue of light and darkness and how, uh, you know, how good, uh, how how good guys go bad and how you recognize good guys going bad and what has to happen when good guys do go bad and and strife and the necessity to fight and all of the you know all of these issues that we're going to see over the course of season one those are really central really crucial things for Aragorn to be wrestling with so my thought there was that the that in the very end of the arc of the first season has Aragorn and Bilbo meeting. And we don't necessarily have to spell it out, but we can kind of implicitly, I think, sort of leave season one with, you know, Aragorn and Bilbo connecting and basically the two of them sort of sharing with each other. Um, Bilbo with his experiences and Aragorn with his, uh, you know, with sort of what he's been absorbing from the stories that he's been hearing over the course of season one. Um and sort of the two of them kind of finding wisdom together, uh, you know, the much older Hobbit and the younger man. Um, uh, but yet again, with these uh, with these differences in their backgrounds and educations, I think it, it could be really cool. Can I talk now? Can I talk now? You can talk now. Can yes, 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 yes. Okay. Oh, fine. But I don't get to, I don't get to put <laughs> I don't get to put this up on the discussion board. So here's my idea. Okay. okay. And actually, Corey already knows this because I think he actually kind of like brainstormed a little bit with me. Yeah, yeah. So we start out, we start out the season, young Estelle, somehow we, we establish that, you know, he's there with his mother. Gil Ryan is, I think, definitely a character in this first season. Yeah, know? oh yeah, oh um, yeah. As, and we'll talk about that probably in a little, a little while. He's looking at a mural that has to do with the Valar, some mural, maybe the music of the Ainur, maybe some, some mural that's in Rivendell. He's contemplating it and his mother, we believe it would be his mother, would come up or perhaps Elrond and, and engages the child and he's got questions and so that actually starts this whole thing of Estelle learning from the elves as well as his mother the stories that we are going to be unfolding season one. End of the season, he, the young Estelle, now somewhat older, we don't know how many years older, as encounters Bilbo just as just as, I guess he'd be 10 or 11 at this point, just as Corey said, Bilbo is looking at the same mural and Estelle joins him and they get into conversation and they, as they walk away, Estelle says something like, well, let me tell you, or Bilbo says, you know, this is interesting, you know, I've been thinking maybe I should write something about this or whatever and Estelle says, well, let me tell you, you know, the stories that, you know, like as if he know now he knows so much and they kind of walk away together, fade out. The idea, I mean, I, I, mean, that would be I, awesome. I really like the idea of, of Bilbo learning these stories first from, you know, that basically we are embedding yeah. in the frame of season one, like Bilbo's first exposure to the stories that he's going to go on to translate and everything. I think that's pretty cool. I think it'd be awesome. I think it'd be awesome. And it's so kind of 
beautiful to have it be the same mural and you know it's like takes us back to the beginning of the frame narrative okay i think i'm done i'm not sure but i think (laughs) sarah king asks if we're going to have the scene where legolas randomly shows up to find aragorn because movie thranduil told him to (laughs) yeah i think we should we should have lego we should have orlando bloom come in and then and then be like this guy is this kid is 11 years old what the heck you know i Sorry, I'll come back in a while. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry. That's right. What do you think, Dave? You've been very quiet now. What, 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 what are your thoughts on some of the ideas we've been throwing out here? Uh, I, I, um, I don't know. I'm feeling, I'm feeling, uh, um, overwhelmed. Overwhelmed, yes. Overwhelmed, yeah. I like your, I like your, I like your proposal, Trish. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Okay, well, let's think about some other things too. Let's think about characters. Gil Ryan. I'm thinking. Okay, so who who is our cast of characters? You know, not yeah, non And I agree with yeah. your comment from last time that we need to keep it small. Yes. Yes. Because we can't. We don't have time to introduce whole new characters because we want to limit the screen time that we spend on the frame, of course. So, I'm thinking three. Well, four if you include Bilbo. Um, I think we have a char- we have a cameo of dwarves. But I don't think I don't think any of the dwarves we use as characters in the frame. Um, I think we stick with Aragorn, Gilrein, and Elrond primarily, with Bilbo coming in perhaps at the maybe a cameo from Bilbo earlier on. Um, that is, if if we're going to bring Bilbo in as a character later, I think we should have uh, one of our episodes. In which during the frame the the dwarves are there and he sees them and he sees Bilbo from afar and Gandalf, but he doesn't. Um, uh, but he doesn't uh, uh, actually interact with them then, um, and then we 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 have Bilbo come back later. But I think that other than Aragorn, I think that Gilrein and 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 Elrond are the primary figures. I'm thinking Elrond has to be the one to tell these stories. Um, Gilrein, yeah. I think, is going to be an important narrator within the Aragorn frame, um, but I see her as being focused primarily on the human stories, not on the not on the elder yeah. stories. It's certainly not on the Valar stories. I mean, this is a like this is a season one is like this is lore master stuff, right? I mean, this is that's got to come from Elrond. Yeah, right. It would just yep. seem, um, and, and, uh, oh, 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 and Dave, I had an idea about the, about the character, uh, the characterization, that is, of Gilrein. Um, uh, as many of you probably know, I, uh, really like the character of, well, I love, one of my favorite things that Tolkien ever wrote, um, is, uh, the Athrobeth, the, the, the debate between, between, uh, Andreth and Finrod. Um, absolutely love that thing. Um, mm-hmm. We're not going to get a chance to depict that debate. Now, I do want to depict the story of, of Andreth and Ignor. That's going to happen. Um, um, <laughs> for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, because this is this, I mean, it's it's relatively obscure. This story, the Andreth, you can uh, the, the story of Andreth, you can find uh, in Morgoth's Ring, Volume Ten of the History of Middle Earth series. Um, uh, she is a human wise woman who, but, but the key is she falls in love with 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 Ignor, Finrod's brother. It is the only example, and who loves her back? It is the only romance that we have between an elf, a male elf, and a human female. Um, it's the only one that where the genders go the other direction, and it's a tragic one. They don't get together. 
And Ignor then dies in the Dagor Bragalak, in the Battle of Sudden Flame. Um, so I'm, I'm th- my, uh, my thought, by the way, is that this is a central plot thread of uh, Season 4. That we end Season 4 with the Dagor Bragalak and the death of Ignor. Mm-hmm. Um, and their ro- the, the, the story of Endreth and Ignor's romance is a, is a, a, a major subplot of season number four but anyway the but but however the 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 debate i you know i say that andreth's story is contained in uh volume 10 it's a little bit misleading it's not a narrative exactly it's a debate it's a discussion like it's almost more like a platonic dialogue between the two of them than anything else it's the two of them discussing mortality and immortality the fate of men and the fate of elves and it's some of tolkien's kind of later thinking um, as he is sort of rethinking and redeveloping the way in which he talks about death as the gift of Iluvatar and all that stuff. Um, and it's, it's for that reason, it's, re- it's, it's super cool. But for that reason, unlikely to make it directly into our production. I mean, like, there's nothing that says exciting, uh, exciting, uh, cinema, uh, like, it's kind of like a platonic dialogue, right? I mean, that's exactly, that's, uh, I, 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 I I would I don't know much about Hollywood, but I would pr- think that would probably not be a good thing to include in an elevator pitch for a a, a, a screenplay you're writing. It's kind of like a platonic dialogue, um, so we're not going to be able to do that, you know, to have that. So, w- but what I'm thinking is, um, I would kind of like to give some of the characterization, some of the attitude that Andreth shows in that debate, the kind of saltiness, even bitterness that Andreth um, uh, uh, voices to Finrod, um, to Gilrein in Rivendell. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be really... In- because there are a couple reasons that I w- would want to do this. Is One, it seems to me to fit Gilrein a little bit. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking of her, you know, the, the scene that we get describing, not her death, but her last conversation with... Um, uh, with Aragorn, she seems a little out of step with, um, like the culture there, <laughs> right? I mean, she's, she, 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 I, I, I get the sense anyway that she doesn't totally fit in. That even st- being in Rivendell instead of being off with her own people has been a sacrifice that she has done for, for, for Aragorn's sake and perhaps one that she hasn't always thoroughly enjoyed. Um, so I, um, but anyway, I, 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 so I, I, I get the sense from what Gilrein actually says in Appendix A, um, I, I get the sense of, of her, like, again, being a little bit out of step with what's go with, with, with the rest of the culture in Rivendell. That's the first thing that suggested that to me. Um, but, uh, but anyway, I think, I mean, it, it makes for, it makes for, uh, sort of more interesting storytelling anyway. There can even be like a little, t- a little bit of tension between Elrond and Gilrein. That is, the two of them can perhaps have somewhat different ideas about the kind of education that Aragorn, or excuse me, that young Estelle needs to receive. Um, and that maybe she does not want him just being raised like an elf lord. Um, right. And so this is where I can see her later on coming in and telling some of the stories, such as principally, I see Gilrein as the narrator of the Turin Turambar story. Um, and, you know, so, but, 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 you know, her telling, maybe even her telling, her narrating some of the, some of the Feanor stuff. I could see her doing that too. Um, and, um, 
basically in her in her desire to kind of give like the human side of the story um and uh and and like and for her to be the voice of like you know things aren't aren't uh aren't all rosy uh and all that kind of not that not that um um not that uh Elrond is going to just tell a, a cleaned up, rosy version of of stories. I mean, again, even the season one trajectory, of course, is is all about how things are not just rosy. But anyway, um, thoughts I about think the characterization of Gilrine? I mean, I think Gilrine as as you know, being sort of this balancing force, and and like you said, you know, with her attitude of, of if you you know give her Andress sort of attitude, it's like, wait a second, you know, this, my son is not an elf. Right. My son is a man. You know, he's. Do not raise him as an elf. You know, I mean, that can kind of be her, you know, so there's some tension going on kind of, you know, in the story too, but that she also represents. I think that I think that whole um, explanation of Fea and, and Hroa, yes. I mean, mm. you know, that can come into this season, maybe between it. Elrond and 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 and, Andreth, and Gilrein, or yeah. somehow it, it comes up this season. Yeah, see, I mean, I can see. Like, I did try to be a little bit more specific about what I mean. What, it's some more of what I mean when I when I say I want to make her kind of like Andreth. Andreth is cheeky to Finrod, uh, like, and one of the main points that she makes, which is one of the only times we ever hear a human being speaking like this to an elf. You can easily, from the Lord of the Rings, especially, get the sense that like elves are all wise and all knowing, and they always know more than humans, right? Um, and, you know, the wisdom and the knowledge of humans is always lesser than that of elves. Andreth is the only human being um, to get in the face of an elf and say, you know what? You guys think you know everything, but you don't get humans. You have no idea how we think. You have no idea what right. it's like to be human. And a lot of the things that you say, you have all your theories, right? You think you know all this stuff. You have your theories about what it, what mortality is and what the function purpose of immortality is and what it's like to be mortal. You have no idea, okay? Um, and, uh, and, and, and of course, she also is corrected, and she learns things during that conversation. It turns out that she doesn't have any idea what it's like to be an elf, and she's making assumptions, too, about what elf what elf experience is like, which turn out to be false. Um, but uh, but anyway, th- that's the kind of thing that I could see Gilrein basically saying, you know, to, right. and, and especially in the context of educating Aragorn, you know, to, to you know, to be like, look, uh, you don't, you don't, he's, he's, he's a man, he's, he's human, and, you know, this is great, like, you, you know, it, it's important for him to learn all this stuff, but he also needs to understand what it means to be human, and, uh, uh, he can't just get all of his, all of his learning, uh, from an elf, or he's not going to be equipped to face what he's actually going to face in human life. And of course, you see how this can be used to build up the tension for the Arwen story later on, right? The, uh, the, the assertion like, no, darn it, he is not an elf, he is human, um, he needs to be raised in a human context, he, ne- and then of course later, you know, he falls in love with an elf, and now the whole question of like, <laughs> right. no, no, he's not an elf, he's a human, becomes in that now a kind of an ironic and, uh, uh, and, and semi-tragical thing. And didn't we talk about that, um, the Baron Luthien story could be told by Gil Ryan to Aragorn. Yeah, oh, I think it's obviously it a, a, a warning. You know, like a this is this never works. You right. know, this is, like, <laughs> don't ever. You know, and then he goes off and meets Arwen after that. So. Yeah, and I can't. I mean, see, the thing is, he's got to. I mean, it's it's. I find it tempting 
to uh, to to say that he should hear the Baron and Luthien story afterwards. So I, I mean, it would be cool to have him meet Arwen and could be like, you know, and 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 you know, there's that scene where Gilrein, you know, she knows like that something has happened, and and then she's like, okay, I should tell you the story. But of course, we know he yeah. already knows the Baron and Luthien story. Uh, in fact, he's just heard the Baron and Luthien story, and then he meets Arwen. Um, so uh, uh, so. We have to have that happen first, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's going to be a the the. I I feel like the frame story in that season is going to kind of write itself. But um, of course, uh, you know, she could be prompted to tell the story because, of course, El, uh, Aragorn, being a young, you know, vibrant man, maybe sort of like checking out the elf ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it's so, natural, so this right? is so, I mean, so, you know. so the Baird and Luthien story, that's like that's like the Rivendell version of like uh, you know, uh, uh, sitting to Aragorn down to tell him the facts of life, right? This is right. like the birds, the bees and uh, Baron and Luthien, right? So let me tell yes. you about boys and girls getting together and now it, in it, right in specific, <laughs> let me tell you about elves and humans getting together. And yeah, no, that's awesome. That's just fantastic. Yeah, there's this really awkward conversation, and Aragorn's like, "Mom." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Mom, I already read about this on the internet. Anyway, um, that's right. so, uh. <laughs> Yeah, good times. But that's several years down the road. Um, for now, we have prepubescent Aragorn, uh, in, so, 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 t- I, I think therefore when we, if we kind of make a list of, um, moments that we would want to have occur, because we do have to kind of think in terms of moments, right? I mean, we're only going to get a few minutes at a time of screen time for the frame over the, you know, sprinkled over the course of the season. Um, so I think it would make sense for us to kind of give a list of the kinds of, of, of sort of scenes we would like to see happen um, in the frame to see if we can kind of put them together in a way that's going to create uh, a story arc for that season. Um, if we end with... Bilbo. I mean, if we agree that him, him and Bilbo getting together is 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 where the story culminates. Other things we're going to want to see. We're going to want like a Gilrein uh, and Elrond conversation with Aragorn not there, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if we're going to have some kind right. of tension between Gilrein and Elrond, that would be the moment where that would be expressed. Um, we're going to have to have both, um, probably multiple. Um, instructional times, like that is Elrond and, uh, uh, and Aragorn, and I assume Gilrein would probably be in the room as well. Um, maybe not all the time, but, uh, but, and, you know, we, and we, so we could have that happening in, in, in particular ways. I say I think that there should be multiple instructional moments, um, because there will be times when we're going to want to emphasize Elrond as teacher, and there are times when we're going to want to emphasize Aragorn asking questions and 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 um, um, prompting, you know, further stories and things. And actually, you know, representing the audience. In other words, right. Aragorn could right. be asking the questions. We'd be anticipating the audience would be asking. That's the, the that's the cool thing about doing juvenile Aragorn here is that assuming that m- most of our audience is going to be. Uh, you know, quite ignorant about the material of season one, 
we have a representative of the audience there in young Aragorn who knows nothing. Um, and so exactly can be asking the questions. And so that's, of course, as we go along, it's going to be something that we're going to want to be thinking about as we do the episodes. What are the questions that he's going to have? You know, right. are, are there things, you know, sort of uh, major questions that we want to use to frame the, uh, the action of those particular episodes? Um, but then I think we're going to want to, we're going to also want, you know, one or two scenes of Aragorn and Gilrein alone. Um, where, you know, maybe, especially if we have a, if we have a scene of, of, of some tension between Gilrein and, and Elrond and her suggesting that, you know, some other things need to be emphasized or, 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 or whatever we could have, um, we, so it's conceivably we could even have her, um, you know, narrating one of the segments of uh, of season one, but I don't. You know, we may or may not decide to go there. Um, and that's the kind of thing we decide for each each episode, right? I mean, we we talk. We're going to include the narrative frame narrative specifically, like what's going to be the frame narrative in this episode. When right. We talk about the episode. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and of course, uh, one episode is going to have to be the cameo with Thorin and company. Um, so that's that which, which may be a very small piece, yes. maybe very just a fleeting Easter eggish kind of thing. Right, exactly. Um, and I, I would think that no would be, naked dwarves in the fountain. No, no naked dwarves in the fountain. No, presumably not. Um, and that would be, um, and that would be probably I would think earlier on in the season. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Nick. Actually, yeah. Uh, turns out my son is in fact eleven. Uh, he's he, he he just turned twelve recently, so he is right. Oh, twelve. Okay, he, I had it wrong. He is right okay. at the edge. No, my younger one, Matthias, is 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 seven. Now. Seven. Um, uh, they grow up so fast. They do. They do. Yeah. So no, Nicholas is uh, is my my son is almost exactly the age of young Aragorn uh, in this uh, in this in this. Season, <laughs> so. I, I, I... Hey, you know, one of the things that strikes me in terms of what story is given to who, and I know we want to keep the cast small, but I'm wondering if it would be it would, there would be some merit in having a, a non-Elrond elf be involved sometimes, and I'm thinking Lindir would be the obvious one. Um, I don't know. Maybe we just kind of keep that in the back of our minds if it turns out maybe there's something that we want to get it part, in part that wouldn't necessarily be either Gelrine or Elrond in conversation with Aragorn. Just... Possibly, possibly. I mean, yeah, there, it's just, it's just the question of, you know, how many, uh, yeah, we don't want to make characters. this be the, yeah, 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 but, um, anyway, yeah, yeah, no, I think, uh, I think there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, Brian, exactly. Uh, Brian Biggs is saying the consequence of Elrond raising Aragorn too much like an elf, he loses his daughter to him. Exactly. You see uh, <laughs> all of the, all of the irony that can come back in at that moment, right? You Absolutely. know, the, the, I mean, um, I mean, the conversation. Oh, that would totally be part of Elrond's reaction when he finds out. Oh, yeah, totally. imagine oh, the conversation God. between Gilrein and Aragorn, or uh, between Gilrein and Elrond after the Arwen incident, right? If you're like, I'm not going to say Whoa. I told you so, but uh, you know, but dude, it's a good uh, thing I'm above uh, saying I told you so. But look at the uh, look at the wreck uh, you've made of this. Um, uh, <laughs> No, I think it's, uh, I think it's, 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 you know, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of potential there. But again, so yeah, if we do, if we, if we set things up that way, you know, if we set things up right here in season one, um, I, I, I do feel that it's the Arwen, uh, thing that we're looking, we're looking sort of forward to, we're looking at most. Um, be, and, cause frankly, I think that could actually be our next, 
our, our next one. I mean, we might get back to Aragorn in between, uh, but um, but I think that the 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 two primary yeah the two primary seasons that are going to be one hundred percent Aragorn um, frame are going to be this one and the Baron and Luthien one. If he comes into the ones in between, it would only be occasionally, I think. But isn't Thorongil... Oh, Thorongil's after our Thorongil's after, yeah. Yeah, so no, we've, we've got... Him. There's nothing really... He'll probably be part of another one later when he's doing Thorongil. Oh, stuff, yeah. But, oh, yeah. And, and he'll have his time in the wild and, and his time with Gandalf. So, yeah, there's 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 lots of potential for him later on. Um, uh, and even for even for continuing to have Gilrein in and for involving more... Fr- I mean, don't forget, we have a long time with the frames. So we have the opportunity to introduce people like Lindir. Um, uh, 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 yeah, Nick suggests uh, Gildor. Of course, Brianna makes the 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 uh, the, the highly appealing uh, suggestion of Gorfindel, obviously. Of course. Um, oh my God! How could I forget Gorfindel? He's got to be in. <laughs> He's got to be in. Right. But not necessarily in this season. We could bring him in yeah, later on. I'm kind of thinking. Don't get greedy, people. Don't get greedy. Don't get greedy. Exactly. I'm thinking. The wrong girl would be a good time to do. Well, yes, even before. Uh, You know, remember, according to the Tale of Years, Aragorn doesn't go out into the wild until after his meeting with Arwen. There's that five-year period when he's out in the wild, but not yet on his big journeys. Um, And but I don't think that means he stays indoors. You know, I don't think we have to imagine. Aragorn as like a 16 year old, you know, being all like, uh, you know, a pasty face bookworm, never going outside, you know, yeah, I I mean, I think that he can, um, he can go, uh, but but that's where I think, I think it's like teenage Aragorn, prior Ah. to his meeting with, that we can get interacting with some of those other elves in Rivendell, because he would probably go out with them, you know, so he he could be with Eladon and Elro here and 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 Glorfindel and Gildor and Lindir um, in different contexts. Um, So, like, basically, that, that would be Aragorn, like out and about in Rivendell, right? We see him interacting with different people in Rivendell. We see him maybe even going out on some short journeys, like with Gildor. Um, I mean, I, I think that he could, for instance, travel with Gildor to the Shire, even. Um, like Gildor apparently does, occasionally. Um, and yet, that would not, you know, that, I, I don't even think that would break the letter of the law of him not yet going out into the wild, because the Shire isn't the wild. Um, so... When he goes out into the wild, that's when we're talking about him basically establishing himself among the rangers. That's what I see that meaning as. Yeah. Like he he becomes he he begins acting as the chieftain of the Dunedain after right. because that's when he learns his heritage and learns that he is and so that's when he's like okay so that's when he goes and he's he's exploring in the North Kingdom and he's hanging out with the other rangers and he's acting as their captain. Um, so. But he can still travel. So these elves would kind of be the bridge to that. Then, yes, right? exactly. Yeah, so his teenage elves. years, when he's beginning to see the world and he's beginning to experience things with, uh, you know, Gildor, Glorfindor, Glorfindor, Eladon, and Elro here, um, uh, he's still not really a ranger yet because he doesn't know he's a ranger. Um, but uh, uh, but he, he 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 can still go out. So I do think we can have a transitional season prior to Baron and Luthien with Elrond in that state. But, but let's, uh, let's, let's stay focused. Karita had asked an excellent question, um, uh, uh, which I need to, oh yeah, how does Elrond feel about Aragorn? Now, we have him, you know, we're told that he accepts him as his foster son. We learn in, you know, in the story of Aragorn and Arwen that he, you know, that, that, that he loves him and does, um, does sort of, I mean, the obvious parallel, right? We have the obvious parallel, which is Turin and Thingol. 
Uh, that seems like a disturbing parallel, but that's the clear parallel, right? Of the well, actually, human, of the human heir who comes in and is adopted as a foster son. Again, it turns out a little bit better, kind of, I guess, depending on your point of view. Um, but, uh, but it, uh, but, but it, anyway, you know, it's not Turin that steals Fingal's daughter. At least Aragorn's sword never offers to, to, you know, to execute him. So that's, that's, that's true. Yeah. You know, it's a, but anyhow, but, so yeah, but so, so, what are the the dynamics of that relationship, though, uh, between Elrond I, and Aragorn? I, I have a suggestion here, yeah. because I, this is actually a pet topic of mine Uh-oh. that I think never gets addressed. No, <laughs> okay. no, no, it's good. It's okay. Elrond's relationship with his brother Elros. Ah. Elrond knows that Aragorn is a descendant, through many generations, of his brother Elros. But I yes. think in his mind, it could be equated to, this is my brother's son. Yeah, this is like his nephew. Many or his, yeah, his nephew. Yes. Yeah, exactly, yes. exactly. And I think he feel you know between that and also kind of his his you know he's fought with the kings of Arnor. You know he's he's had an alliance with those kings. So besides the brother thing, he also feels this responsibility, you know, to to raise this this heir of Isildur kind of thing. So the two together. But I think the brother angle. I would love to see that because I I, I can't believe there's not there was an affection between the two. And it's never portrayed any place. It's never really talked about any place. Yeah, the, the closest we ever get to it is that scene. Is that the the scene when when Elrond says, "I'm not giving my daughter to anybody but the king of of, of Arnor and Gondor." Um, but I mean, you know, that's it, it's that element. It's that the heck no, you're not marrying my daughter angle of that story that tends to get emphasized by people. Right. But the affection that Elrond shows for Aragorn is genuine. You know, he 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 loves him. He's his, he does not react like Thingol reacts. To Baron, you know, um, he is not even tempted to send Aragorn off to his death <laughs> on purpose, right? Uh, I just there, there. Elrond's reaction uh, uh, to uh, to Aragorn's love for Arwen is quite positive on the scale of possible reactions, and that's because of his his love for him, because of his affection for him. I I do really like the brother angle. Um, we have to be ca- cautious, of course, because. We're not going to be telling the story of Elros for a really, really long time, um, and we no. don't we don't want to get off on like a, during our frame story. We're going, yeah, exactly. It'd be a foreshadowing. You know, Elrond, Elrond can just can mention his brother. A line, basically. Yes. Yeah, he just says he is he's my you know he's my kin or something you know something almost mysterious even you know it doesn't have to be explained. Right, in, in right, and exactly. Just as uh, Nick uh, Palazzo just said, we might also see some of how Elrond felt about Elros's choice. Exactly. Uh, um, and that yeah. can be, be awesome. in fact, That's hey, awesome. hey, hey, have Gilrine throw that in his face. Ooh, I like that. Don't think that you, like, I know your brother chose more, like, y- your brother chose mortality, you have to let, El- you, you have to let my son be immortal too. You can't try to make him into what you wish your brother <laughs> had stayed as or something like that. You know. Right. Um, that could, that could, that could, that could come up there. I like that. I like that. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Cool. All right. So, I mean, a lot of this stuff, of course, we're, we're, we're finally, by the way, this is, this is the last episode in which we're going to be like, well, we'll work out the details of this later on. <laughs> um, 
because we are we are we are beginning no to get into the, the can, no more kick in the can. Next, we're, we're we're next week. The re- next episode, the really hard work starts. Yes, exactly. I mean, I do think that some of the you know the, it's, it's 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 but it is Start still in the forums, people. Exactly, it is still yeah. in this episode hard for us to to lay. I mean, like for instance, I don't I wouldn't feel comfortable right now. Um, necessarily making out a list of like which segments we want to attach to each episode because it's really, it has to connect with the story. Um, I don't want to impose like an artificial chronology from the frame onto the episodes and to, you know, it's, it's the, the, obviously the central focus has to be on the first stage storyline, you know, not on the frame, but on the, and the frame has to serve that. Um, so we need to be, going with the flow of the story of season one and then attaching the frame to that rather than the other way around. So I don't want to dictate like the frame of episode three. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we sketched out the, you know, how the episodes are going to progress through season one last time we could in theory go through and correlate, um, uh, bits from the, uh, from the frame, but again, I, I'll feel much more comfortable doing that once we have a clearer sense of what the the central themes and concerns of these different episodes are. Well, I know we have to wind down now. So, I mean, should, is it like decision time? I mean, do we want to definitely say, for example, starts with Estelle, you know, asking questions, ends with Estelle talking to Bilbo? Boom. That's we know that's the beginning and end. We know Gil Ryan and Elrond are going to be. The other two characters. Yeah. Well, let me ask this, Dave. Do you have any Do you have any ideas about where to start? What What scene? Like when when the curtain rises on episode one of season one of this of the of the series, we see Aragorn, presumably. Do I mean? There's the idea that there was Church's suggestion. Maybe we're starting with a wide shot set in Rivendell, right? I mean, there is an extent to which. Um. Uh, it might be good to offer sort of like, you know, this, I realize that we're supposed to be doing this untrammeled by the constraints of reality, but, but just allowing them to intrude for a moment. It might be good to start with a visual that people are like, oh, hey, Riven, yeah, right. I recognize right. that. Right. That's been in like every single movie I've ever seen. No, I think that's good. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. starting with a shot of the valley and then like doing, you know, one of those like stereotypical zoom in things where we, and we zoom in to like, uh, um, you know, sort of a young mother playing with her young her young uh, boy, child, right. um, could be, and and then it slowly dawns on people who this is. Actually, actually, it would be kind of interesting if we don't, you know, like like if people have to kind of work to get it for a little while because she's calling him Estelle and stuff. You, you yeah. know, you could get you could have her calling him like disciplining him. I mean, how many names does he have? You know how moms do that. Estelle Dunedin, you know. Come right, come here right now. <laughs> yeah, but no, exactly. I, I think I think he's only called Estelle. In fact, I think that's that, that that's really cool. Um, it's only between in private conversation between Gilrine and Elrond that his real name will be dropped. I, I yep. th- that's how I think we should do it. Um, so yes. that yes, we can actually have, of course, to everybody in the know, like all the Tolkien fans out there will be like, they'll all be really smug because they know who this really is. Um, but uh, but it would be a reveal. Uh, for your non-Tolkien reader, um, to, uh, to, to understand that this boy Estel that they've been meeting is actually Aragorn. Mm-hmm. I like that. I'm looking to see, I was, sorry, I was just checking the tale of yours to see if we have, I don't think we have, um, 
we don't have a date for Gil Ryan's birth, so we don't know it. But she was very young. You also you don't have anything like Aragorn walks for the first time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know Aragorn's first steps. Well, no, because he was two when he Not moved to Rivendell, so yeah, he he already would have taken his first steps uh, in the camps of no, the Dune. No, he meant in the, died, in the so. tale of years. Tolkien didn't put that in the tale of oh, years. Oh yeah, yeah. Aragorn, yeah, Aragorn's first steps. Yeah, <laughs> right. In the year in the in the year twenty nine twenty, uh, you know, uh, in the year twenty nine thirty two, Aragorn Aragorn went through a difficult teething process, but finally emerged at the end. Aragorn's and, first words. Yes, exactly. What they would be. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, he's not. He's. Um, we have to have his name be kept secret. I, that, that I think that, that I think would be really cool. Um, uh, Oh, now that's interesting. So here, here's Nick's suggestion. Nick's suggestion is that we actually start away because um, do we begin with the story? Do we do we begin in Rivendell? Or Nick says maybe we begin with the death of Arathorn and the flight of Gilrine. So we have a kind of an action beginning and their their arrival. I mean, but see, to do that, we have yeah. to have the passage of time. Sorry, Dave. What? Well, I, I said I like that idea. You like that idea? No, but again, the pro- the problem is we have to have time pass. Right before mm-hmm. we can get, because mm-hmm. we, we have we'll have you know toddler uh, Aragorn be brought in. Yeah. That of course gives the spoiler to the audience about who he is, so it it, it ruins a reveal. But that's okay. I mean, I, th- I think that would be fine. Well, we could go with a cheesy cheesy voiceover for the first for the death of Aragorn, the flight of Gilrain, and then you know show. Oh, no, I refuse. Passing with the cheesy <laughs> voiceover. I know. <laughs> that actually makes it really meta because we have a frame narrative for the frame narrative, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. do you think, do you really think it's? I'm not convinced that it's necessary to telegraph uh, who he is. Uh, like, I, th- I think it's still possible to get away with like, you know, having seeing seeing sort of this heroic chieftain like figure dying and and you know making it clear that this is the father of somebody something something something, but but never actually saying Arathorn on on right. On, that's true. By the way, we can go Jackson and make him not two. We can make him ten. I mean, we no, because then he'd remember. Be older. He, then he'd oh, remember. Okay. I mean, there That's would true. be there, there. If we're going to have a central part of his story be that his own identity and heritage is right. revealed to him later on, um, right? And you know th- that's, uh, um, yeah. Then he he does have to be. Uh, a toddler when he gets to when he gets to oh and thank you Robert I can always count on Robert Brown um, I I missed it yeah I was overlooking it in the t- this is what happens when you look at the tale of years quickly while you're talking about something else uh, Gil Ryan's birth is in the tale of years twenty nine oh seven so uh, so yeah that makes her wow she's only twenty four when Aragorn is born for a ranger for that's really young remember the whole story is that her parents think she's too young to get married um and mm-hmm. and Arathorn her husband is way older than she is um right and uh and it's her mom who's like yeah let's let them get on with this um because that's probably going to be important later so um so so yeah so she's 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 quite young um and so I think that you know so I'm thinking casting wise um, especially given that the Dunedain age slowly, I'm thinking we cast a, a, a young woman um, as Gil Ryan in Rivendell. I mean, like, I, I mean, I, I would think she would still she would she would look like in her early twenties, um, mm-hmm. uh, no no later than early twenties. I would as far as for 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 what her look should be. Um, 
because I think that's actually kind of that that could be really part of the of of the the sort of cool tension, like because it it, it it would make for a really interesting contrast um, to have a very young looking woman, Gilrine, kind of standing up to ancient lore master Elrond uh, and uh, having some moments there. Um, yeah, that actually, I like that. Yeah, yeah. So even though she would actually be in her, uh, uh, she, you know, she'd actually be in her thirties by the time we got to the story, you know, to, to the actual time Spunky, of the story. She's gonna, but she she would look younger. Being she would look younger Dunedin. being a Dunedin, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's gonna be spunky. I'm gonna like her a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Well, we're five minutes over our our time limit. Yeah, we are. Uh, Let's see. So. But we should make a decision about this Arathorn thing because that's gonna that's that's gonna be relevant instantly uh, next week or next session. Um, do we want to? I, I I like the idea, but I think it's too awkward. I think it's having to skip time, um, having a frame tail to the frame tail. I think is 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 one frame too many. Um, we can have it recalled. Um, yes. We can always do it as a as a flashback. flashback. A flashback. Yeah. You know, yeah. we can have we can have her. I mean, uh, young Aragorn is gonna ask, right? You know, right. what happened to his father, and she can say he was killed. You know, he was you know he was killed by orcs, and that's why we came here. Um, and and know, that's it, all she says, right? right? She doesn't say he was she can't say who he is her. exactly, right? And so he he would wonder about his people and stuff, you know. Um, but. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, but but I think if we, it's the gap of time that bothers me. I like the idea, but how we age Aragorn from two to ten, um, in order to begin season one—that's the—that's the thing that seems too awkward to try to do in a frame. And I think it would be better for us to just come into Rivendell, have the scene that precipitates. Basically, Elrond has to decide for some reason. Um, now is the time to start educating him with this stuff, you know, to start telling him this stuff. And that's what I like Trisha's idea about the, you know, like he's looking at a, at a mural or something and asking questions that basically like Elrond decides that it's time to tell him the story of the elder days because he asks about them, you know, and when Plus, he's old enough mind, to... we can't spend a lot of time on the frame narrative. I mean, no. doing the wide shot of Rivendell, you know, focusing in and we focus in on this young child looking at this mural, you know, you, in a very short period of time, you got Elrond joining him in a very short period of time. We can, we can like segue way into the actual story right with a, not a lot of build-up and then the rest of it sort of like you know right unfolds through the season i mean i i think that could work right we could do an action sequence of the death of arathorn in a flashback from gil ryan later on yeah mm-hmm. either this season or even later in yeah the season, right yeah i mean later years yeah it could be it could be but i'm thinking even later this season maybe we bring that yeah. in when we start getting the conflict among the valar you know, there's, yeah, you know when, when yeah. like war is brewing um oh, good idea. as a way right, in which right, like war touch well. because aragorn of course is the child of war you know he he he's he, he and you know the he and his mom are there in rivendell having this frame story happening to them because you know his dad was was killed and you know his people have been at war for you know with the orcs and the the creatures of Morgoth for a really long time so you know they are the consequences of this and we can show Aragorn doesn't know this yet but Gilrine knows it and we can have her remembering the death of her husband and maybe even like it, it would it would be kind of hokey to have her like 
be having a be having a nightmare, you know, like a dream about Arathorn's death, and then she, you know, and then she wakes up, and then maybe in the episode after that is when she goes and talks to Elrond and is saying, "Look, I don't want to," you know, he has to be. Maybe even she says, "I want to tell him who he is." Like I, you know, I, I want to tell him about his father. I want to tell him, um, you know, who he is and who his people are. And Elrond, and Elrond right. saying no, you know, him like basically talking her off the ledge, and then her 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 saying, "Well, okay, fine, but at least." You know, I want him not just to be raised like some elf lord. I want him raised as a human. Right, um, right. And I love that story being told in parallel to the Valar story of war. Yeah. You know, because remember we talked about it being the Valar are like all innocent and war, war free, and then it happens, right? So... So this tension within the frame, the tension between Gilron and, Gilrein and Aragorn can, or, and Elrond can then come in at about the time that the tension is really beginning to explode in the main story as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Showing also then the truth of Mandos's words about how this kind of strife and tension is now endemic, you know, is already endemic yes, to, of. you know, the history of Arda. Arda has already been marred. There's no question of them being able to yep. stop that happening. Perfect. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Okay. Um, so... So then, so we're going to start with, uh, so, so we'll have to be thinking about this then exactly how we do the, the initiation, the beginning of the sequence with, with, uh, Elrond, um, next time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, several people have referred to, as of course is only natural, referred to, uh, Kate Madison's Born of Hope film, uh, about Gilrein and Arathorn. Um, I, I will admit I've had that in my head too as I've been thinking about this. Not because I think, I mean, I, I want to do Gilrein's character quite differently than was done in that film. She was, she yes. was, she was, uh, well, because she wasn't the female, she was not the spunky female character, uh, no, in, in that, not. in that movie. Um, so I would, I, I certainly would want to sort of comparatively spunkify her, uh, uh, uh compared to the Born of Hope depiction. But, but, but yeah, I, I, I do recommend it. It's a really interesting film. I, I like it a lot. Um, okay, so, um, um, I love, yeah, you know, go ahead. You know what I, I love about this? I love the fact that we're we're <laughs> we're we're having our cake and eating it too, right? Like <laughs> over the last few years throughout Reels in the Dark, you know, we've we've occasionally chatted about like adapting Silmarillion mostly to say that it was a terrible idea. Uh but then we also talked about how fun it would be to do like oh like you know, we talked about one point there was rumors of Peter Jackson doing a bridge film, and we talked about how fun it would be to do Young Adventures yes. of Aragorn, and yes. we talked about all that. <laughs> and then, we, yeah, now we decided, okay, we're going to do the Silmarillion thing, and then we add this narrative structure, and the end result is now we're now we're doing all the things. That's we're right. cramming it all in. Every single idea we've had, this is it, all of it, all of it. Yep, yep. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's pretty awesome. This is this is a lot of fun. Okay. Next time. Uh, so next episode in two weeks. Um, so we're looking... Oh, wait, what? what's the date of that? That means, what, the 11th? Is that right? 11th, yeah. September 11th. Okay, so um, uh, that's... Okay, so on 9-11, we'll do the Ino Lindale. That's fascinating. Oh, my goodness. Um, oh, my goodness. Yes, that's how it happens. Um, uh, so, wow. So it has been faded. Um think about the Ino Lindale. You guys have been 
chomping at the bit for this. There are already like pages and pages and pages of stuff on the discussion boards about the Ino Linda way. He's got his work cut out for him, doesn't he? Exactly. Yeah. There's, like there's, there's so much. But this is it is it is now decision time. So many suggestions about how we do the Ino Linda I think we do have to do the music. We can't skip the music. We've got to have the music of the Ino. I mean that 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 needs to be lurking in the background. But how do we do it? Um, and how do we connect it with the later stories? You know, with the the the, the arrival of the Valar in um, in um, in in Arda. Um, so, episode one uh, next, uh, and so especially the Ino Indelay and how we're going to do this. So, that's what you should read, of course. Well, but but not just that. I want you to reread not only the Ino Indelay, but also reread the first chapter of the Quenta. Okay. Uh, ideally, you will reread the Aino Lindale, the Valaquinta, and the first chapter. Because anyway, this is the stuff you're going to have to know backwards and forwards as we're going through our discussion of season one. So, um, you know, I mean, the, the fact is, you know, if you look at your required reading for the whole season, you know, for the whole next year, you're really talking about uh, chapter one and two of the Quenta. You know, the Aino Lindale, the Valaquinta, and chapter one and two of the Quenta Silmarillion. Um, uh, that's not a whole lot of assigned reading for the entire year, but that's basically what, and that's basically what what we're looking at. But anyway, so stay, um, stay, stay focused on the earliest bits of the earliest bits of chapter one, the begin of the beginning of days, the Ainulindalei, and the uh, references in the Valaquenta to um, to the. It's less so the Valaquenta, mostly the Ainulindalei, and uh, the, of the beginning of days. Okay. Very good. Very good. Um, uh, the, our specific focal points are going to be, first we need to have, uh, uh, to decide how we're going to go continue this last discussion about how we're going to get into the frame. So that's one question. How are we going to, how are we going to introduce the frame and how much of the frame are we going to, are we going to do in episode one? How are we going to depict the music of the Ainur is question two. And then question three is, how are we going to trans? How are we going to segue? How are we going to connect the music of the Ainur to the continu- the con- you know, the, the 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 chronological story of the Valar and their arrival in Arda? Um, are we going to arrive in Arda in 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 episode one? I, mean, I can see a few options here, right? They could are ar- we could open episode one with the the Valar and Almarin already and do the music as a flashback. We could just do the opening with the music and then have them in Almarin after. We can we can add, add, but how are we going to do that? How you know the, the the chronological story of the Valar that begins with them in Arda and goes through the end of the season, uh, you know, to the war to begin all wars. We have to move into that or at least have a plan how we're going to get from the music to that. So that's the third question. How are we, what are we going to introduce in the frame? How are we going to do the music? How are we going to transition from the music to the primary scene of action? All right? Mm-hmm. Excellent. Very good. Any last thoughts or, or comments from you guys? No. Nope. Music should obviously be a flashback. <laughs> so Dave just would like to end with a biasing of the of the discussion That's for next exactly time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 putting his stake in the ground before we even get there. All right, excellent, very Sorry, good. I'll change my mind. 
<laughs> Very good. All right. Well, excellent. So you guys have your work cut out for you, and I look forward to, to next time. So as always, thanks for listening, and Godspeed.